I speak to you in the name of God who was and is and is to come. Amen. So yesterday at the National Cathedral, 10 deacons were ordained, including our own Tom Sinclair. And deacons have a special ministry of servanthood. And they have particular roles that they play during worship services, such as proclaiming the gospel, as Tom just did. They also help prepare the table for communion. They send us out to serve the world by proclaiming our dismissal. And they're called to serve all people, but in particular, people who are in need. And we're very grateful to have Tom with us this morning, serving as deacon before he begins his new ministry at St. Mark's. Now, the National Cathedral, where his ordination took place, it's a pretty awe-inspiring place. The scale alone is humbling. It's massive. The stained glass windows, the stonework, the craftsmanship that's throughout the worship space, it's really impressive. In its pulpit have stood many celebrated preachers, and honored guests have sat within her walls. And now the comparison, it's imperfect, but I want you to imagine for just a moment that you are standing outside the cathedral and you're looking up and you're trying to find the Darth Vader gargoyle, or maybe you're inside and you're looking up at one of the big windows like the rose window, and up walks Jesus and says, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. This might give us just the slightest idea of what it would have sounded like for those admiring the temple and its grandeur to hear from Jesus that all of this is going to be thrown down. Herod the Great had recently completed an 80-year refurbishment on the temple. Let's hope our bell tower campaign does not take nearly that long. And expanding in this campaign, it helped expand the temple size, new tapestries were added, they installed gold-plated doors, they employed talented artisans from all over, they used the best of the best in terms of building materials. And it wasn't just that the temple was an impressive and beautiful house of worship. The temple was the religious and the cultural home of the Jewish people. It was where the Jewish people believed God's spirit actually dwelled. So there's really no building in our modern consciousness that we could equate with its significance. It was the rooted center of the Jewish people's identity. Without it, they would face an experience, an existential crisis. When is this going to happen, the disciples ask. What signs are going to tell us that this is about to take place? Well, and as he often does, Jesus doesn't exactly answer the question. Instead, he warns about false teachers and uses apocalyptic imagery to warn of wars and plagues, persecutions and betrayals. And so what are we to make of these words? Well, I want to zoom out briefly to look at two different contexts. The first is the context of those who were hearing these words in the story itself. And then the second is the community of early Christians that Luke was writing to, kind of who's his audience, what's happening when this gospel is written down. 
And then we'll come back to our context here and now. So in Luke chapter 21, which we just heard a few verses from, Jesus and his disciples, they're in Jerusalem, and the time of Jesus's arrest is fast approaching. By the end of the next chapter, Judas will have betrayed him, Peter denied him, and Jesus will be brought bound and beaten before the council. And by chapter 23, Jesus is dead. So Jesus is speaking these words as the powers that be are really closing in around him. And the tension had to be thick and heavy. And yet in this passage, in the words that follow, there is this kind of theme of take heart. We will not perish. He says, you will be hated and betrayed because of my name, but not a a hair on your head will perish. Take heart. All right, let's zoom out one layer. So the gospel according to Luke was written roughly a decade, around 80 CE, give or take a little bit of time, but that's about a decade after the Romans did in fact destroy the temple, which took place in 70 CE. So what was once unthinkable has come to be. So this is a time in the early Christian community as well when they would face intermittent hostility and persecution Luke was also the author of the book of Acts, and so we get to hear some of these stories in that book. Writing the gospel when he did, Luke reframes the traumatic events that were being faced by his contemporaries. What was once a prediction is no longer hypothetical. It's their lived reality. So they're in the midst of their own existential crisis, and this massive where do we go from here moment. And again, Jesus's words remind them that even in the midst of all this destruction, God is able to do a new thing. Take heart, we will not perish. Now those contexts, those have come and they've gone, so what about now? Well, struggle and despair are still around us on a personal level, on national and international scales, maybe you can feel that. Maybe you kind of feel stuck deep down in the mire of it all. And if you're not there, maybe you can relate to having been there, been close to that kind of time of despair in your life. Well, today, this text, it confronts us with the question, when the unthinkable happens, where do you turn? When you have lost something or someone that you weren't prepared to lose, where do you put your hope? When, you, when those that you thought were speaking the truth, when they turn out to be false prophets, whose voice is it that you're going to listen to? Whose words are you going to follow? I think it's significant that Jesus warns about false prophets in this moment. He recognizes that when, we, when what we thought we could trust, when that starts to crumble, we are fragile, we're vulnerable. And we might be prone to follow voices that say, I have the answers, I am he, the time is near. Voices that sound like they can predict the future. 
We're reminded, though, that the voice that you and I as Christians, that we're called to follow, it's the voice of a servant and the voice of a shepherd. It's the voice of God, God who risked everything by becoming human so that we could better relate to God. We're called to listen to the one who is always out walking ahead of us, asking us to follow him, and knowing firsthand what we're being called into because he's gone there before. In the church, our calendar, our kind of way of telling time and marking time, it's different than the Gregorian calendar that we use to mark our days of the week and our months of the year. In church time, we're coming to the end of the year pretty quickly. Next Sunday, we'll celebrate Christ the King Sunday, and then on November 27th, that's the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent begins a new year in the church calendar. Advent is known to be a time of waiting. It sets this tone of preparing and of waiting expectantly, waiting in hope. Hope that Jesus, yes, will come on Christmas morning, but also that Emmanuel, that God with us, will come again to complete the work of making a new heaven and a new earth that Isaiah talked about. And so today we get to hear some foreshadowing of those kinds of themes. And there is a call in here to examine where our focus is and to be ready to reorient our view if we need to. Jesus' words about the destruction of the temple and the apocalyptic imagery that he's evoking, they might feel distant or cryptic or maybe even repel you. I want to challenge you, though, to sit with them and to do kind of like our collect says, to read, mark, and inwardly digest them. Because at their heart, there is good news. There is good news of God's faithfulness, a faithfulness that stretches across millennia, from Isaiah to Luke, from before they lived and well beyond our own lifetimes. In Jesus, there is the promise made flesh that God is with us, not just in a time to come, in the eternal by and by, but in the very present now. The words of Jesus that we hear today, they're intended to elicit trust, not to instill fear. And in them is the assurance that even as we humans continue to inflict the unthinkable and the seemingly unbearable on one another, that God can and will continue to do a new thing. Can we hear Christ's voice amidst everything else that's clamoring for our attention? How can we reframe our focus to make more room for the, for the manger, for the cross, the tomb, and the life of love that was lived in between. Cry aloud, inhabitants of Zion, ring out your joy, for the great one in the midst of you is the Holy One of Israel. Take heart. Amen.